Welcome to episode 12 of Bookmarked. In today's episode, I'm going to explore the book 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think by Brianna Weiss. This book has essays and short forms of writing that cover philosophy, love, self-improvement, and psychology. The purpose of this book is to share these essays and writings with her readers so that they can see the underlying ideas from each of them that have helped Brianna change her life. Each chapter in this book ranges from the low end, two to three pages, and maybe on the maximum end, 10 or 15. It was really like reading 45 from small blog posts with bullet points and key messages already in them. With that being said, I will not be going through each chapter in depth because of the way this book was formatted. It ended up being like 60 chapters, high level. Yeah, maybe not 60, but many more than I have time to go through it at a high level. So for this episode, I'm going to read some of the most memorable passages and texts and give my thoughts about them. I'll give a key theme at the beginning that emerged from a cluster of different passages or chapters, and then just give a summary of that key takeaway. So with that being said, this episode will likely be shorter, but that's ideal since it'll hopefully be more information packed. But with that, let's get started. Key theme number one, living in the moment. So again, I'm just going to read some different passages at the beginning of different chapters that I've highlighted that cover this overall theme. Text one, living in the moment isn't some hippie ideology for Zen and enlightenment. People believe that creating your best life is deciding what you want and then going after it. But what ends up happening is you are psychologically incapable of knowing what will actually bring you happiness in the future. Our brains are only capable to perceive things that are known. So when you choose what you want for the future, you're actually creating a solution or ideal of the past. When things don't work out the way you want them to, you think it's because you failed, only because you didn't recreate something you perceived as desirable. But in reality, you're likely creating something better, but foreign, and your brain misinterpreted it as bad because of it. Text 2. You don't know what you want. You want what you've known. We are literally incapable of predicting an outcome that is out of the realm of what we've previously known. So rather than trying to seek better, we seek the best of what we've known, even if the best is really just the solution to the problems we didn't need to create again. Text 3. When you're feeling lost or directionless in life, you're actually becoming more present in your life. When we're lost, we're forced to pay attention to our surroundings and our internal state. This can lead to a greater appreciation of the present moment and a deeper understanding of ourselves. The statement encourages us to embrace these feelings of being lost as an opportunity to become more present in our lives. In text four, forget that final picture you want your life to amount to. It will never exist the way you think it should. But in the meantime, it will only ensure that you waste what you do have in the moment. There's one final destination here. The only thing you're rushing toward is the end of your life. So it's pretty clear anyway. The key insight from the above text it really presents an interesting perspective on the concept of living in the moment and the limitations of our ability to actually predict future happiness and what will make us happy. It suggests that our brains are wired to seek really what we're familiar with and known rather than embracing the unknown or seeking what might truly bring us happiness in the future. The idea that our desires are rooted in what we've already experienced is pretty thought-provoking. It implies that when we envision our ideal future, we are essentially just drawing from past experiences and attempting to recreate them. This can lead to a sense of failure or dissatisfaction when things actually don't align with our expectations because our brains may struggle to actually recognize 
and maybe appreciate the potential benefits of new and different experiences. This perspective, I think, challenges the conventional approach of pursuing what we think we want is best in our life. Instead, I think it encourages us to be more open to the possibilities beyond our past experiences and to embrace the unfamiliarity of new things. By doing so, we may discover new paths and opportunity that could lead to genuine happiness, even if they diverge from our preconceived notions of what we desire. Key theme number two, stop chasing happiness. Text one. Alan Watts taught us that the desire for security and the feeling of insecurity are one and the same, that to hold your breath is to lose your breath. Traditional Zen Buddhism would agree, to desire fulfillment is to not have fulfillment. Happiness is not something you seek, but that of which you become. These ideas are nice, but they illustrate the madness behind the common wisdom of chasing happiness. As Andrew Wheel has said, the idea that human beings should be constantly happy is a unique, modern, uniquely American, and uniquely destructive idea. It is our desire for perpetual happiness that drives consumerism, eases the fact that we're all barreling towards uncertain death, and keeps us hungering for more. In many ways, it, alongside our existential fear of death and suffering, accounts for why we're so developed and innovated in which of society we live in. Our lack of fulfillment has driven us because the quest for happiness does not and will not cease. This is largely due to hedonic adaptation, which is really just the fact that human beings get used to what happens to them. We change, we adjust, we adapt, and we crave more. Psychologists also call it a baseline, the way in which we regulate ourselves to come back to a neutral after different life events occur. Chasing happiness is trying to keep ourselves sustained by positive life events, rather than just adjusting the baseline as a whole. Motivating ourselves with the hope of achieving a sustained feeling of good is not only unhealthy, it's impossible. If you want to be happy, you should stop chasing happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of doing things that are challenging, meaningful, beautiful, and worthwhile. It is wiser to spend life chasing knowledge or the ability to think clearly and with more dimension than you know, just chasing what feels good. It is wiser to chase the kind of discomfort that only comes from doing something so profound or life-altering that you're knocked off your orbit. It is wiser to tip the scales over than trying to balance things you don't like only because you believe the balance will make you happy. It is wiser to do things that are hard and make you feel vulnerable and raw than it is to avoid them because comfort makes you temporarily just feeling good. At the end of the day, to avoid pain is to avoid happiness. They are opposite forces within the same function. To numb ourselves to one side of our feeling capacity is to shut down everything. It leaves us chasing the kind of empty happiness that never really fulfills us and leaves us the shells of the people we're actually destined to be. So the key insight from that text, albeit it was a little long, is essentially it encourages us, the readers, listeners, reconsider our approach to happiness and fulfillment. It suggests that the more profound or even nuanced understanding of these concepts can be found by embracing challenges, vulnerability, and personal growth. It challenges the idea of constant happiness as a sole pursuit and invites a deeper exploration of what it means to be and to live a truly fulfilling life. And I'm just going to repeat my favorite line, I think, from the whole text from above. And at the end of the day, to avoid pain is to avoid happiness. Key theme number three, discovering happiness. Text one, there's happiness and pleasure, which is largely just sensory. There is happiness of grace, which is just gratitude and others' happiness of excellence. 
This kind of happiness comes from the pursuit of something great. Not the moment you arrive at the top of the mountain, but the process of falling in love with the hike. Text 2. You will never be ready when the love of your life comes along. You also probably won't be ready when you see that listing for your dream job, or to buy a house, or maybe have a kid, or quit that job and try to write the book you keep thinking about. In the end, if you wait for that feeling of readiness, you'll just be waiting around forever. And worse, you'll miss the best of what's actually in front of you. So both of those texts highlight the importance of embracing, again, the present moment rather than just kind of waiting around for some certain conditions to be met. The first text emphasizes falling in love with that process, being in love with in the moment. And the second text warns against waiting around forever, missing out on really what's actually best in life and what is actually in front of you. Key theme number four, the power of emotions. Text one. Emotions outlast memories that created them. We take past emotions and project them into situations that are in our current lives. This is to say, unless we heal what happened in the past, we're always going to be controlled by it. Furthermore, our irrational fears and most severe day-to-day anxieties can be traced back to a cause, which needs to be addressed to effectively stop this effect. Text number two. Emotions can predict the future. Or in other words, gut feelings are real. A study at Columbia University, which is being called the Emotional Oracle Effect, essentially proved that people who trust their emotions can predict future outcomes. Because they tap into it regularly, they have a window into their subconscious mind, which is more or less just an unconscious well of information. So text one highlights that emotions can outlast memories that are initially triggered them. Past emotions can help influence how we perceive and react to current situations, and it also suggests that unresolved emotional experiences from the past can continue to exert control over our current lives until we address them and hopefully heal from them. Text 2 discusses the idea of emotions that specifically the gut feeling that people have can have a predictive aspect to it. It refers to the emotional oracle effect, which suggests that individuals who trust their emotion can gain insights into future outcomes. By regularly tapping into your emotions, these individuals or you may be able to access their subconscious mind which can provide valuable information. Key theme number five, personal growth. Text one, spend time on your own, especially when you feel like you don't want to. You are your first and last friend. You are with you until the end. If you don't want to be with you, how can you expect anyone else to either? Text number two, write down what you hate about other people. This is what you need to change about your own life, or yourself. Know that it's often not a surface level issue. You don't hate your annoying neighbor because she always bothers you for lunch and you secretly bother other people for lunch. You hate her because she acts though she's desperate for love and you feel that way too, but avoid it because you think it's embarrassing. This is kind of a cheat sheet for seeing what's actually wrong in your life. It's important because completely understanding the problem is the same thing as knowing the solution. If you don't know what to do, you just don't know what's wrong. If you don't know what's wrong, it's because some part of you is resisting seeing it. The key theme really from the two texts above is about self-reflection and personal growth. The paragraphs emphasize the importance of spending time alone and cultivating a positive relationship with yourself. Additionally, it also suggests that understanding and addressing one's own negative emotions towards others can help provide valuable insights into areas of personal resistance and needs for change. So now we've reached the end of this episode. 
what I just discussed and talked about were my key takeaways from this book. However, there were so many more topics that I didn't cover uh, at the moment because I didn't feel they were too relevant for what I was going after for this episode. Things like the power of a daily routine, expectations you must let go in your 20s, sections about not knowing if you're emotionally or socially a strong person, and, and, and. So with that being said, if what I mentioned in this episode has interested you at all, please go check out like a table of contents of this book online, browse through it, and if you see a section or sections that interest you, then feel free to check out the book. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day. I'll hopefully see you next week.